Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, Agency Owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we're hanging out with Emily Cohen. Emily is a brutally honest consultant who has been honored to consult and work with many leading design firms across the country. She speaks on stages all across the world 12 to 15 times per year to creative and agency professionals. Through these experiences, she's developed, tested, and curated key business insights and strategies that have helped firms become more effective, more profitable, more fun to work at. She does strategic business planning, provides confidential best practices insights, advice to staff, process management strategies, culture, so much more. We're going to learn all about that in today's episode. Emily, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you uh, you say you're a brutally honest yeah. yep. business consultant. I do. Can you give me an example <laughs> of what brutally honest means? Like, do, do people leave, leave the room crying? <laughs> That's just kind of what I feel like. Yes. It's just... Yeah. Every once in a while, no. no. Honestly, I do it with love. Every once in a while, I'll make somebody cry. But for the most part, I do it with love. I am a New Yorker and I believe in truth and honesty as a driving force for business. And so if my clients are doing things that I think are damaging our industry or damaging their business, I tell them directly. I don't, you know, I don't kind of couch it. And I think the reason why I love that strategy is because if I'm just direct and honest, it produces much better conversations with my clients. If they get mad or if they disagree strongly, then they'll push back. And that's what I want. I want that pushback. I want to be able to have debates. And I think that's why I do that is really to spark kind of conversations. Has somebody left a meeting crying before? Yes. <laughs> right, I'm, not, I'm like laughing. I would like, say no with, doubt. With like, them, I would right? say three times a year I've made my clients cry, maybe at the most. And I know I know it's your work with clients is confidential, but maybe in in kind of broad strokes, what are some of the things that you find in your work with clients, it comes out as the things that they need that brutally honest reflection of what's going on within their business? I think the big one is um, conflict management and avoiding conflict. I think many of my clients have very a lot of difficulty around conflict and how to embrace conflict and not avoid it, whether that's with how you manage clients and projects to how you manage your team. And that's related to also the idea of saying no. I think many of my clients struggle with the idea that they actually can and should say no to some projects and to better vet and qualify clients so that you're attracting and working with the clients that you kind of want to work with. I actually just had a new I just had a new business inquiry yesterday. Somebody wanted to work with me. They weren't qualified, but I wanted to talk to them anyway because I there was something about them that I really liked. And one of her questions at the end just cracked me up. She goes, well, because she couldn't afford me. So she goes, what do you do when clients can't afford you? I say, no. I say, I just say no. That's good. 
I, she know, was looking for something more. Life. She was looking yeah. for, but then what do you do? What, what else do you sell them? Right? I just say, well, thank you very much for thinking about me. And I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> you know, mm. like, so that's kind of the, I think those are the things that, and also obviously, I think the biggest thing creatives struggle with often is having a reactionary business. So they're allowing their clients and their contacts, the people that are coming in, all their incoming business to drive the direction of their business and to take control of their business. And so I think that's one of the things I always work on like with my clients on is taking control of their business. Like mm. this is your business. You get to decide who you hire, who you work with, what kind of clients you want, all of that. So, I mean, the, the, the thought, the word that came to mind as you started saying, you know, with their, their team and conflict is having boundaries with your, with the people that you work with, right? And, and from the client side, from the prospect side, from the team, and maybe we can kind of dig into some of those areas today. Cause I feel like clients are probably one of the first groups of people, especially when you're just starting out and maybe you don't yet have employees or maybe you have a small amount of contractors that you're working with. Obviously as, as you start to gain success in the business that changes, but everybody has clients that's listening to this show and clients like to, they, they don't, they don't like to stay in their life. The clients want what clients want, right? They want special treatment. They want yeah. what they want. They don't want to listen to you. I mean, what are some of the things with active clients, not just prospects, but what are some methods to help help agency owners when it comes to keeping clients within your boundaries in a way that doesn't make them run off and stop being clients? Yeah. Well, I think that has to do with boundaries, first setting the boundaries. I think too many designers don't have strong enough documents in terms of proposals and contracts that really outline exactly what they're going to be delivering within the scope of work. What is the scope of work? What are those boundaries? And then the terms and conditions also define that. But then you have to live and breathe. And also, I would say creative briefs. Creative briefs are really critical documents in terms of strategy and, cre- and creative direction. So clients don't art direct you. So having very strong um, boundaries already in place. Even I've seen many clients of mine, so creatives, have like how they expect clients behave. You know, this is how we engage with you. This is what we expect. This is how we communicate. Like, we can't get texts. So they lay out some boundaries about if you need to communicate about this issue, it goes through you know Slack or this one goes through email, whatever. So it's very clearly defined. And then reviewing that actually in person or over the phone so that they actually read it. Because if you just send them documents, they don't always read them. So the most important thing is to review them and ask if they have any questions. And then it's around once you've given them the parameters. I will say to you, most of us don't give clients enough parameters in the beginning of the relationship. They don't have strong contracts or strong proposals or any kind of strong documentation around what they're going to provide and what the terms of that relationship are. But once you have all that in place, then it's really about managing the client's expectations and pushing back. So when they misbehave or when they over, they ask for something or they go off track, you let them know and you say, look, you're going off track. This wasn't part of the scope, but I understand why you need this. I'm going to deliver this thing for free for now, but the next chain time you pivot or change, then I'll charge you. So it's always a really good way to say, look, I will do this for you, but then you can't keep misbehaving, right? So I think it's always around the kind of tit for tat thing. I'll do this for you, but then at some point you let them know. The other thing is I really believe in letting them know, like, if you're delivering round two of revisions or even round one, you say these are round one, then you, you literally put an attachment or put a, you know, like tag it saying these are round one presentations. This is round two. You have one more round left. Keep letting them know 
where they are in the scope of work. I don't think, we think the clients keep track of this stuff. They don't. I don't know why people, why creatives think that clients keep track of all this stuff. That's our job to do that and teach them exactly where we are in the process. So to me, it's around just keeping the client informed. I always joke that pretty much almost every single day and every consultation, my big thing is the answer to every question you ever have is communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, agency owners. I have an amazing product to share with you this week. Service Provider Pro. I'm absolutely in love with this platform. If you're currently running a productized service-based agency and you're looking for an all-in-one client management solution, this is for you. Service Provider Pro helps you sell services at scale. You can manage your clients, your payments, projects, all from one slick dashboard. Run reports, see where your projects are at, and give your team a single source of truth. And it all comes in a fully white-labeled package, so you look super pro in front of your clients. For more details and an extended free trial, head over to spp.co slash yougurus to sign up. That's spp.co forward slash yougurus. All right, let's get back to our show. I, I think a lot of times we, you know, we're in our business all the time. You know, whereas our client is kind of a visitor, right? There are tourists; yeah. they're just coming in. Yeah, you know, we know where everything is. Yeah. Uh, it's like going and to a friend's house and, and, and cooking or whatever, right? You're like, oh, I need to find the spatula. And you're like going through every every drawer. I feel like that's clients trying to figure out stuff. I, I, I remember a time where, you know, and we had, we've got great scope documents. We've got great contracts, great terms. We've got a great process. I remember I've, I've been in rooms with clients where I, it's clear they're stepping outside of boundaries. It's clear they're asking for something that's not in the scope. And then I'll say, I'll say like, hey, you know, like, you know, based on the scope of work or this is not in the scope of work. And I've had clients like flip out. Like, it's like mentioning scope of work is like, you know, mentioning fire in a movie theater or something. All of a sudden, they're like, no, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, don't, don't you pull out that scope of work. Like, you're going to do this thing, you know, like, we got to do this. This is what the business needs, right? And I think that, I mean, sometimes those things, even when, even with our best intentions of putting them in place, for some reason, that like client business, you know, there's there's just conflict from it. Like all of a sudden, you're 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 saying contract to them. What's in the contract? Like I always feel like I had some guy that we worked with a long time ago who was like, you know, my contract's a handshake with you. And I'm like, well, yeah, but we still gotta have like a contract, right? But like, what do you do in those in those situations where the tensions are high and then there is conflict? Yep. Okay. So the first thing I would say is a lot of that can be avoided in the first place which is to read those red flags at the beginning. I think too many designers, they fall in love with these, either the project or the client or the opportunity and they avoid seeing, they have blinders on and they see they don't see these red flags that are screaming them in the face. So the clients that say that don't look at a proposal or don't read it or don't have any questions about the contract, those are red flags. Or if they don't return your emails or if they don't give you all the information all at once. So as much as you can, read those red flags because I'm going to tell you they are going to come back to haunt you. And that's when those moments of tension cause are caused because you didn't read those red flags. I can almost always predict when a client's going to misbehave based on the earlier relationship before I've even signed a contract with them. So I think the first thing is to read those red flags. Right, before you go on the second thing, I, I do like that that no questions were asked about the proposal or contract is a red flag. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's so easy to overlook is that you just you share the contract, you present it, Hey, do you have any questions? No, this looks good, right? And I feel like versus an engaged business owner or or nonprofit or whatever, right? They're engaged. 
And, and you know, nothing's ever right the first time. I mean, there, there should be questions. There should be clarification. Right. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so many other red flags, you know, like they didn't go to your website or they already worked with two other design firms and fired them. <laughs> you know, they're like, you're I, they, agency number 19, right? Like yeah. we, we can never get along with two agencies, right? Like instead of thinking like, oh, I'll be the one, right? It's yeah. like, yeah. Or you should treat that as a, as a, as a red flag, as you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So th- I think those things and like, who are you working with? Are you working with the main decision maker? You know, if you're working with somebody that's not the main decision maker, you're going to have layers of revisions that you need to include in the proposal. So mm. if you know you can't get access to the decision maker, include more revisions. And if they say, well, the fee's so high, you can say, well, I included more revisions because I'm not working with the stakeholder. And they will then change their behavior mm. and say, well, you can work with the main decision maker if you can lower your fee. And I'm like, sure. Right? So there's some things you can do to mitigate the situation before it happens. That's a really good... Because I feel like so many times the, the oh, trying to overcome the objection of the decision makers on the room is... Right, is to you know ask you know who are all the stakeholders and, and then getting the, getting agreement with your client of who the decision makers are for this project and if you're not able to access them getting that cascaded but you you saying sometimes that's just a reality that you just can't access that person but we know by default that's going to mean that you're going to do you know two two presentations or two rounds with your main stakeholder then they're going to bring the version and then and then we know it's going to go into further revision rounds. And then you tell them that and just say, that's fine. We can't work with the main decision maker. We get that, but that's going to increase our scope and our fee. So I think those things really, I actually, I think all of those things really prevent most clients from misbehaving. Look, they're going to be clients, right? They just are. And so you have to decide how much you allow them to push you around. And at what point you have to have sort of your plan B. Right. Without knowing your plan B, like what are you will, how far are you willing to go with this client? Then you will always over accommodate them. So are you eventually willing to fire them? Do you need to charge more? Do you need to change the staff member who's working with them on it? You know, do you need to, you know, maybe engage with somebody else in the company to discuss that this misbehave, this client is misbehaving? You know, so there's different plan Bs. And if you know what those are in your head, then gives you the foundation to make tough decisions later on and to push back a little bit because you know your plan B. You're not using it, but you know how far you'll have to go before you take their essentially. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like that's knowing that plan B or what you're willing to give up ahead of time is good. It's almost like with, uh, you know, people that you see start to gamble and lose money and then they get caught in this cycle where they weren't clear about how much money up front they yeah, were willing exactly. to put at stake and then they're just like no no no, no. if i put another thousand dollars in like we're gonna get it get it back and then we'll get you know we'll get whole again and then it becomes this vicious cycle and i think that a lot of client interactions can happen really similar to that where it's like, oh, well, there's just one extra round of revision. And oh, there's just this one extra little feature. And oh, there's, they didn't treat me well in that meeting, but like we need, we're almost at the finish line with this client. We're about ready to ship it, right? Oh, wow, we're not getting to the finish line. Oh, they're pushing this. Oh, they went on vacation. Now they're not responding to my emails. They don't want to pay my invoice, right? It like, it happens slowly at first, but then it does start to compound, right? When you have those, those bad client situations. Exactly. So not letting those compound is the catching them immediately when they happen. Right. So if a client cancels a call last minute, you know, you can say, well, I've actually scheduled my time accordingly. This will be if you cancel any future calls, I need to charge you for my time. You know, just simply keeping them updated when they misbehave 
Mm -hmm. The other thing is if you have staff, and I'm hoping you know many people on this podcast have staff, if you have staff, you have to remember that if you allow your clients to misbehave, you're going to hurt team morale. And to me, your people are more important than your clients. The people that you work with are more important than your clients. You have to protect them. And because first of all, they're really hard to find good creatives, especially now in this moment in time when you know recruiting is really difficult. And so it's our job to really manage our clients so that we don't lose our staff and that our staff are happy. Speaking of staff, one of those areas of sometimes a struggle to set up boundaries with, with team members. I think early on in my agency, I was pretty bad. I never went to business school in order to management school. I never worked for anybody else. I didn't even know what it meant to be a good boss. So I had to do a lot of this learning in the trenches. But I see people struggle with this with team members, whether it's contractors or actual full-time employees, or maybe it's issues around uh, issues around delivery, issues around you know, quality of what they're they're producing. Like it's not up to the level that the the owner can do or that they expect. Maybe they're not delivering stuff on time or they're not communicating, you know, along the way. What are some of the tactics that you would use with when it comes to team members around boundaries and uh yeah. Right. So again, this goes back to what I said with clients, very similar thing, which is you need to hire properly in the first place. Um, and make it very clear. I don't. I can't tell you how many people I work with who have large teams and nobody has job descriptions. So nobody knows who's doing what and who's involved in what. So if they're responsible for, you know, entering timesheets or delivering, if they're responsible for managing the project in terms of timelines, it should be very clear with them what they're supposed to be doing and what the expectations are so that when you do reviews... And this is where I think people, designers break down because we avoid conflict. So most reviews are like, oh, you're doing great. Even though they're unhappy on the side, they don't say anything. (laughs) Or they're like, that just was one situation. I don't need to talk about it. Or they only do reviews once a year and it's way too late in the process to manage them. So doing more frequent one-on-ones is what they're called, where you're really meeting with everybody on your team, whether they're contractors or freelancers, once a month or once a week one-on-one to just say, here's things that are doing great. Here, It's not a performance review. It's just like, here's some things that are great. Here are things we're struggling with so that you can catch these things from growing and getting worse. And then again, your plan B, are you willing to fire them? How far do you want to, you know, do they have amazing, like not everybody's perfect, right? So we always want everybody to have all these unicorn skills. They can do everything. They can manage clients. They can be super creative. They can communicate and they can do like, you know, project management. First of all, those people are very rare. But <laughs> if, you, if you want somebody who kind of does everything, you need to let them know and review them against that. And also to re- realize that not everybody's perfect. And so if you might have to weigh some of the things and your plan B is, okay, I really love their creative. They're super great and creative. They're not really great with timesheets. You have to decide, well, maybe we should waive the timesheets because that's not as important as this great creative that they have. I'll give you an example. I had a client who had this amazingly talented creative director. He was like so amazing. Like everything in their portfolio was award-winning. Like all their work that was award-winning was developed by him, even though they had a team of designers behind him. But he was such a nasty human being that they sheltered him from all clients and all staff. So as a creative director, he didn't manage the team and he didn't work with clients. And I told them that they had to fire him. And... They were horrified because this guy was making all, you know, they were thinking that they, this was the only great creative on the team. I said, I bet you anything, as soon as you let go of this person, your creative team behind him are going to step up to the plate. 
right? So making that tough decision to let go of somebody that you thought was valuable, but only valuable in one dimension made a big difference because everybody stepped up. It was amazing. Overnight, everybody's work improved significantly. <laughs> right? So I, I just they like shipped them off to an island, like gave them an internet connection and they like, or not even an internet connection, right? They like send a, a packet to him. Like, here's the next client. Please send us a... A That's disc what they did. Back to us. That's what they, they literally gave him a door, an office. He was the only one with an office. The door was closed. No one could talk to him because mm. he was such a prick, you know. So, you know, that's not what a creative director, a creative director, is supposed to manage a team. It's supposed they're supposed to manage clients. You know, they're supposed to be a people person. If you have a creative director in a position, that's not that's your fault. You elevated them to a position they were not. That's the other thing is to making sure that you're elevating people to the right roles. Yeah. A lot of times we we want to elevate people to roles that they just can't take on. Like for some reason, a lot of people, you know, think that project managers can get moved to strategy when you can't always move project managers to strategies. They don't have the skills, you know? So I just think you have to think about that a little bit. And I also say this might be very one-dimensional to think this way, but I always think there's two types of creatives in this world. They're the super creatives. Like they are incredibly talented, but they are terrible at organizing and managing and like, they don't care about resources and time and money. They just, they're all they're doing is about quality. And those designers are really great for like certain kinds of projects. But then there are other designers that are like crazy anal and organized. Their work is maybe not exceptional, but they are really solid designers. And so you might need those kinds of designers for different kinds of projects or different kinds of teams. Like if you are a big team, then you could have different designers. But if you're a small team, you might need, need those more anal designers because you need them to manage their own projects, right? So you have to really think about what their skills and passions are. I also do the DISC assessments. I, I, I'm a big believer in doing some sort of behavioral and motivational test to see what they're bringing to the job already. And they're pretty, mm. if you do the right test, they're pretty accurate. I don't do personality tests, but I do, you know, like there's a lot of different kind of tests you can do or assessments to just get a sense if they're going to be a right fit for your culture. So... Avoiding conflict is really common and you push Huge. people into con conflict. Yes. I I'd love to talk a little bit about strategies, whether it's with clients or even with, you know, team members, especially of, I guess, kind of either creating the conflict or delivering the conflict. I mean, whether it's, you know, these, these quote unquote hard conversations. I mean, I just even know like a physiological level as an entrepreneur, whether it's, uh, you know, knowing that you have to make a correction on it with a team member. You have to deliver hard news. I mean, you know, like your heart starts racing a little bit. Like the night before, you start getting a little bit of. I mean, I find that the the longer I've been an entrepreneur, the more manageable like that kind of um, like body responses to it. But like even to like even now, delivering hard news or having a hard conversation with a team member or partner, like it's a hard conversation because they're freaking hard. So what what kind of coaching or advice uh, do you give to clients? around the actual conversation itself? Well, first of all, don't ever speak to somebody when you're mad. You know, that's kind of the known rule. Like you shouldn't come to somebody with some sort of anger. Always calm down. The other thing is I, I'm a big believer in just framing our conversation. So really think tactically about what you're going to say and how you're going to frame it. And in terms of that emotional well-being, uh, I, I think meditation, like I'm a high stress person, you know, I am very, very stressful and it affected my body at one point. So I started taking meditation and I'm telling you, it's changed my life, right? I never thought I could sit still. As you can tell, I'm somebody that moves around a lot. And that has created 
a better me. I'm able to be more calm in conversations by just being able to do deep breathing while I'm talking. So there's some physical things you can do. When you said frame frame conversation, can you define that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah. So first you have very detailed job expectations. This is what you are expected to do, right? And then you can review those line by line to say, these are the things that you're doing excellent at. Like if you have it there and you know what you want to say, like, okay, here's some things that you're struggling with. And here's an example. Always give examples. Also, the other thing is never attack a never attack a person. So it's never you conversations; it's we conversations, right? Because if you attack somebody, I don't know. You're married, right? Like I, I, am. I, I learned this from having you know spousal issues. You know, like I learned that I can't ever attack my husband. You did this, rather than I talk about the situation, mm. right? This was a difficult situation, and it's the same thing with managing your staff. Is really talking about this project didn't succeed and here's some things that we thought didn't work. Yep. Right. Um, so, because the minute you you say you, it becomes an attack and they'll always have that, well, here's the exception to the rule. I delivered this other project on time. This was an exception. Yeah. Right. So you have to be very careful of doing those views. So there's a lot of like different skills you can use and employ when you're having conversations. And what I mean by frame is I literally will help my clients write scripts that are very like, these are the key words you want to say. And if they say, then I want them to practice. So they practice with me to see if they are saying, if they are understanding what they need to say and are using the right words. Because we have to, I think it's really important we use the right words. And a lot of times we, especially when we're angry or, or kind of frustrated, we could often go to bad places with our words. So we have to really think about what are the words that we're saying and how we frame things. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white-label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's e, the number two, m, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. And I even just started like making a list here as you were talking, not of words, bad words. I mean, can you give me a, a but, but even thinking about like the situation or the project or the client or the job. Right. So for instance, I mean, if we take something as simple as just, just for a, an example for our, our audience, something as simple as a team member you know, whether it's it's a not coming in the office at the right time or maybe they're not coming on to meetings at the right time, they're coming in late or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how do you, I mean, I guess you could, you, you set the expectation of, hey, part of this job is showing up on time to meetings and it seems like we've been having an issue with that. So there we go. I, I talked about the job and then I said, we've been having an issue with that. They're going to then obviously infer that as like, oh crap, yeah, I got to start making, you know, better versus being like, yo dude, why are you late all the time, right? Like, you know, so so don't don't do the second one, but the first one is is in the okay area. Exactly, you just answered your own question. I think the one thing you also have to be flexible. So even in that situation, I do find I had a client that was like so mad at her staff and not coming at nine o'clock every day. But so this was an East Coast firm, but she was from West the West. She was from Midwest, and Midwesterners like starting their day earlier for some reason. It's a weird thing. But New Yorkers and people in the East Coast, we start a day at like ten. <laughs> So sometimes you have to be flexible. And so what I told her is, why don't you just have two tier- tiers of people coming in? You have the people come in at nine 
nine to five, and then you have the people that work 10 to six. So some of it is also around flexibility. You're not going to change some core behaviors of people and to see if you can work with them to accommodate that. So I also will say like, I, you're not a morning person or, th- you know, mornings are a difficult time for some people on the team. <laughs> and they might say, Haha, you're talking about me. Right. And they'll, yeah. But, and, and so we're, we're trying to, we're struggling with that because our clients start calling us at nine. Do you have suggestions for how we can mm-hmm. do this? And the obvious suggestion might be, yeah, I need to, I need to work on that. Yeah. Or I, can I come in 10? I'll work till seven. You, you'll be amazed. Some staff will say, I need this in order to do that. Mm. Yeah. Right. Even like time tracking. I'm not, especially now with COVID, I'm not sure how much I believe in time tracking anymore, but there are most creatives don't like doing time tracking and getting them to time track is almost impossible. Yeah. So you might have to be flexible about how they do time tracking, make the system more simple. So I think a lot of times we can make our job, their jobs easier by first seeing, can we be a little flexible because they have other talents that we need? Right. And just deciding where they're valuable. But if they're not like talking to clients well or they're, you know, misbehaving in terms of their personality, that is a whole other issue. And you have to be more direct with them on that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you have examples. Like, you know, this situation, you know, the client got really frustrated because they didn't get the answer they wanted or the answer wasn't didn't wasn't framed in the right way or you didn't respond to they, the question, the email that was sent didn't respond to their questions. You know, so you have to kind of be more specific. Well, I love that uh, insight. I mean, obviously, I, I know a lot of people are probably listening going, time tracking, right? They're all like, <laughs> they, they feel that. I mean, that, that's yeah. an example of, you know, management versus team. And I think just trying to get people aligned around the why. I mean, obviously, if you're trying to create proposals and budgets and pricing and, you know, if we're doing work that takes time, it's hard to know, you know, are we charging the right price without time tracking? I mean, you can kind of generally know, like, are we profitable as a business? But I'm sure a lot of people are listening right now going, yeah, I wish my team would time track or I wish they'd do it without me beating them over the head. Yeah. I love what you said about aligning them with the why. So whenever you make a decision or when you expect something, tell them the why, why they this needs to happen. I think that's actually brilliant. Well, Emily... This is all amazing. And I feel like I've got I've got some notes even for myself from today's episode, which I always appreciate when I'm like, man, I, I came out of this interview and I feel like I could be a better creative leader. I'm probably going to be a better, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe my clients are going to be like, why are you putting all these boundaries in place all of a sudden? I'm like, I don't know. I was on with Emily and she, she told me I needed better boundaries. Um, so hopefully our listeners took some notes and have some ideas around red flags, around boundaries, about having the hard conversations and uh, and hopefully avoiding avoiding conflict. I don't know if that's a double negative, but we want them to to lean into healthy conflict in their business. And I think you're uh, an amazing person to learn from on that. Are you, uh, you got a few minutes for our lightning round? Sure. I love doing that stuff. As you can tell, I talk fast, <laughs> so I can do this pretty quickly. <laughs> what is the best advice you've ever received? I think it was from my father, he was a bookseller and I had to work in his store and his piece of advice advice was never sit down on the job. Like literally there was no chairs in the bookstore because we were never allowed to sit down because we had things to do. (laughs) So I think I actually that live and die by that still, that there's always something to do. And maybe that's why I'm so high stressed because I can never sit down. <laughs> well, well, it looks like you have some chairs in your office, so that at least at least you haven't carried that forward into the into the agency uh, business. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? My laugh, my being able to laugh at myself. 
I think, and humor. I think that's really important in business, you know, and being, I'm willing to know when I make a mistake. So I'm always thinking that being able to say I'm sorry is something that I'm really proud of. And I think always works in my favor. Can you share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use regularly that you think our listeners would find valuable? Um, Oh, LastPass is like my life-saving device right now. It keeps all my passwords. I can constantly change my passwords. It's an amazing tool. (laughs) And what book would you recommend besides your own? And why? (laughs) And (laughs) why? Um, I think it's called Building Expertise. I think that's what it's called by David Baker, David C. Baker. The Business of Expertise. He's a competitor. The Business of Expertise is still, I wish I'd written that book. It's brilliant. I think the other one is, um, you, you just don't understand. It's about women and men and how they communicate differently. Very cool. Well, uh, I, I can imagine that uh, learning how to communicate in that way is probably a big part of helping agency owners work with their teams and and diverse set of of employees and stakeholders. We will link out to You Just Don't Understand as well as the business of expertise on our show notes page at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. We'll also throw a link in there to LastPass, have some other cool tips, takeaways, and gold nuggets from this episode. So if you're out on a run, or in your car, go to yougurus.com slash podcast. If you listen to this week of, you'll see Emily's photo right up to the top. Click on her and we'll have all that stuff organized in one place. And we'll have a link out to uh, Emily's book. Speaking of, Emily, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, so you can go on my website, emilycohen.com. That's where you can also get the book. I'm on all the social media platforms, mostly on um, engaged on Instagram. You can absolutely reach out to me on social. I do LinkedIn learning courses. So you can take my classes on LinkedIn learning. I've done three courses already. Or just send me an email and say hi. Awesome. Well, we will make sure to link out to your website, email, book, all your social media profiles. So if you want to see where Emily's publishing content as well as her LinkedIn or her courses on LinkedIn on the platform, not necessarily on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's called through Link. They have so many different brands. LinkedIn right. Learning, which used to be lynda.com. Got it. So the, the former lynda.com, LinkedIn Learning, you can learn more from Emily Cohen. Uh, but if you're looking for those links, just check out our podcast page, yougurus.com slash podcast, and then we'll put all that in one place for you. Emily, it's been amazing having you on the program today. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. It was great. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.